You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. It is such an honor to be here. This is so fun for me to be a part of this. Scott and I have been friends for a long, long time, uh, as he mentioned back in seminary in the early days, and then kind of talking through life and church and all of those things. Uh, We did give $100 a month which for us at the time was a ginormous amount of money. But we believed in Scott and Shanna. We believed in what God was going to do. We knew his hand was upon their lives. And so therefore, it has been amazing to now be now coming here 17 years later, having heard about all the stories of the country club and the initial meetings, knowing all of the ups and downs that go along with the movie theater. Scott and I have been friends in ministry, just being able to talk, hey, what do you think about this? Because we know each other in our quirks, but also may know enough about our certain context to be able to speak into that, and Scott's given me the opportunity to be able to talk through things, and it is an honor. I would just simply tell you, this is a joy, because it just shows that the $100 that we gave a month early on is worth it. Like the fact that now, 17 years later, seeing you and seeing what God is doing in the midst of this church is incredible. I had a chance to spend some time last night with Scott and Shannon and their girls. I'm just telling you, uh, they're the real deal. I've known them for a long, long time. I know all kinds of things, good and bad about Scott, all the different—he is your pastor walks with the Lord, and I want you to know that, and I want you to feel confident in that, and I want you to know that you are so blessed, and I am really, really grateful for the chance to be here. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to hang out a little bit today. Uh, Let me ask the question to you. How long is too long? How long is too long? Last year, my family went on a trip to uh, Disney World. That was the primary reason why we were there in Orlando, Florida. But we had a little bit of extra time before our flight. Uh, and so we actually booked an extra day and went for a day and a half to go to Universal Studios. We'd never been to Universal Studios before, but we decided this may be the only time that we're going to be going there. And so we wanted to do it right. So we stayed on property at Universal Studios. What it means when you stay on property is you get the opportunity to go into the park an hour before the general public gets to go to the park. We were told that it was important if we were going to go to Universal Studios that we had to go to Harry Potter World, which is a really, really weird world. Let's just say that really quick. You got people dressed up in full wizard costumes all over the place there in Universal Studios. We were told you have to make sure that you go and you ride Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbark Adventure Ride. Okay, Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure Ride. So we get there to the park, which we had access an hour before the general public, an hour prior to that. Okay, so we got a two-hour head start. We were told by the workers there that you're not allowed to run. So we walked as fast as we possibly could over towards this line. We get in line, and it was a three and a half hour wait. We were told it's the reason why we're supposed to come. And so we get in line. We wait for that three and a half hours. I'm not going to lie to you. The ride was awesome. It was a lot of fun. It was a really, really cool experience. But at that point, it's lunch, right? I mean, it's already half your day is gone. And so we kind of rode a few other rides. And we looked it up. And one of my kids said, we should go ride that ride again. We looked it up. It was a five-hour wait at that point. How long is too long? I would simply tell you that ride was good. It ain't worth five hours of your day, all right? There ain't no question about it. 
we had gone to Disney World prior to that. And of course, we know Disney World is very famous for having some pretty iconic rides. And with those rides come iconically long lines, right? Think about, for example, the ride Soren has a record wait time of 305 minutes. A few years back uh, on New Year's Eve, the ride Rise of the Resistance had a line of 320 minutes. There have also seen Avatar, a ride that's always very well known, but it has a consistently wait line of about 200 minutes. How many of you, though, in this room have ever ridden Splash Mountain? Would you raise your hands for me, Splash Mountain? Okay. Uh, quite a few of you have. For those of you who have not, it's basically one of the kind of iconic classic character rides that has sort of a, a, a big, huge uh, decline at the end into a little splash of water, hence the name Splash Mountain. Uh, this year, it actually got discontinued and moved on for a new ride that's going to take its place. And on the very last day that Splash Mountain was open, it recorded the longest wait time that it has ever had for that ride for 220 minutes over three and a half hours long. If you've never ridden Splash Mountain, let me just go ahead and tell you, it's not worth waiting 30 minutes for Splash Mountain, (laughs) much less three and a half hours long. How long, though, is too long? It's a question that we answer quite a bit, and not necessarily how long you're willing to wait in a line, although did you know the average person will wait 52 days of their life in line. But the question ultimately really is this. What is valuable to you and how valuable are you, is something to you that's causing you to give your time and your money and your effort and your attention to it? The question I want to consider this morning is this. What would you give for something great? What would you give for something great. What you value, you will wait for. What you value, you will pay for. What you treasure, you will give your time and your energy to. You want to know what somebody is really all about. You look at how they spend their time. You look at how they spend their money. You look at what they give their affections to. That is what is most important to them. This morning, I want to continue in the series that y'all have been doing called Sent, where y'all have been talking about what it looks like, not necessarily just to be sent overseas or sent on a mission trip, but to be sent across the street or to be sent to the cubicle next to you or to be sent to the, to the desk that is right near you, for you to have a mindset and a lifestyle that says, God can use me in the places that he already has me to live on mission for him. Maybe you've been inspired over the course of the summer and the course of this series to begin to do things that may be out of your comfort zone or maybe to step out and to share your faith, to invite your, somebody else to church or, or to serve someone in need, maybe not normal things that you would normally do, but what you've discovered along the way is that while it sounds great to live sin, there's a cost at times. Not everybody's going to embrace this new desire for your purpose and affections of your life. What you may discover is there's going to be financial things that may come up that you're going to want to buy and it's going to contradict what God's called you to do. 
Maybe you look up and you're going to find that stepping out of your little comfort zone is going to be very risky and might cause you to be looked down upon or looked differently by certain people. And so therefore, if you're going to go and talk about Jesus, just know it may mean the conversation and the relationship may look different going forward. And what I want to tell you today, the, the point of the passage that we're going to read is this, that it is worth it to live sent. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at three verses that share two stories, two parables. A parable is a short story with a big point. These, this passage actually shares the same big point. Let's begin reading in Matthew 13, beginning in verse 44. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. What would you give for something great? point is told in the story of a man who we see here found something extremely valuable. In those days, the way they did it, they didn't put things in like a safety deposit box or a bank or something like that. Instead, what they would do is if they found something that was incredibly valuable, they would actually bury it in the ground. Uh, and so you literally could be walking over great treasure on a constant basis. This man would bury this though, hoping that he could somehow be able to purchase the field quick enough before somebody else discovered the treasure. It's a really hard thing for us to kind of get our heads around because today what we do, instead of us burying things underground, we put things in storage units that are built up. Did you know in, in North Carolina, there's 1,773 self-storage facilities that represents 58,519,700 square feet of storage. You're like, well, who puts their money in this? Did you know that for one month of a self-storage unit in Raleigh, it is $142.17. And the city of Raleigh has added 3.3 million square feet of storage space over the last two years, which is a 46% increase over the previous two years. In Texas, the numbers are even more where I'm from. Literally, what you will see is as you now drive around, you will discover there are self-storage units all over the place. I mean, there's constantly people building more units to house more stuff. Back in those days, though, they didn't do that. Instead, instead of going up, they, be, they buried these things. And so it says there that this man went and sold all that he had not because he wanted the, the value of the land, but instead because he wanted the treasure that was found in the land. It then describes another man who was a treasure hunter. This person went and found pearls. It says that he was a, a successful one in the sense that he had found many pearls along the way, but that then he goes and he finds one specific pearl that is so far superior above all of the other pearls. It says that he goes and sells all of his previous things that he had found. Because the treasure of this one pearl was worth it. Here's the point. I encourage you to write this down this morning uh, of these two stories. It is simply this. The kingdom of God is worth it. Nothing else is. The kingdom of God is worth it. 
Nothing else is. If you were to read the, the Gospels and specifically in the book of Matthew and Matthew chapter 13 as well, it has a lot of descriptions about what the kingdom of God is like. It describes it like it's a seed that can bear a fruit 30, 60, 100 fold in return. It describes it here in the sense of extreme, saying that whatever you have to give up, whatever you have to sacrifice, whatever it might cost you in order to get the kingdom, it will be worth it because it is so infinitely valuable, nothing else compares to it. Psalm chapter 84, verse 10, it says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the, twins, the tents of wickedness. There was a song in the early 2000s that was written about this verse. It was a part of a, a movement called the Passion Movement. It still exists to this day where college and young adults get together and begin to put their face towards Jesus. I was a part of the initial part of this movement. And there was a song that really marked the church in that time. And it was a song that was called Better is One Day in Your Courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. What could cause the psalmist, what could lead the church to say those types of things? It's because the infinite majesty and glory and wonder and beauty of our God is so great that anything else in comparison does not come close. You know, I think about heaven a lot. I, end up, I do a lot of funerals as a pastor, and, and as a result of that, you're with people in that kind of stage of that life where they're moving from this life on to the next. And, and, and you know, I've heard a lot of messages about heaven. Most of them seem to suggest that uh, in heaven, what we're going to do is we're going to be up there playing harps and singing songs. And I don't want to be sacrilegious at all, but eternity is a really, really long time. And I really don't want to play harps for the whole rest of my by eternity, right? It just does not sound something that's super appealing to me. But whenever you read God's word and you begin to realize what it says about what it means to be in his presence, when you read God's word and you begin to realize that you get to be in a place where there's no more mourning and no more crying and no more pain and no more addiction and, and, and no more cancer and no more sickness and no more all the things that consume our time and our attention and our prayer requests. And you realize on top of all of that, you also get to be with God and his glory and his goodness and his majesty and his mercy and his grace and all the things that I just have a, a slice of understanding here on this earth, but I will have the fullness when I am in heaven. It leads me to realize that that is the ultimate pursuit of all of my life. And I'm just practicing for that glorious moment. I'm not going to get bored in heaven. Instead, I'll never fully be able to be satisfied in heaven because there'll be so much more to learn. I'll have so much more to, uh, 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 to, so much more to see, so much of God's presence to be able to enjoy. I'll never come to the point where I'm done. Psalm chapter 19 verse 10 says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Better than all of the wealth that the world has to offer. And sweeter than the best dessert that has ever been made. This is what the presence of God is like. 
I turn into a foodie whenever I travel. I enjoyed going out with Scott and Shanna last night, and they were kind of walking me through some of the different places and stuff like that in Raleigh, some of the key places to go eat. They talked to me about their vacation and how when they went on vacation, there was a specific place they went to go eat a sandwich, and it was the best sandwich that they've ever had. I totally turn into that way. We, we went to dinner last night, and we had a dessert. This dessert was a bread pudding, and then this dessert had this big old marshmallow on top. I, I, was, I, I was trying to do good, but man, I just took one bite. I mean, it was the most amazing thing. It was incredible. I love, all of you know what it's like to experience a really, really good tasting meal. Please hear me. The best meal that you will ever have pales in comparison to the worst meal that you could ever think of when you're in heaven. I want you to there's not worth comparing, the Bible says, to the glory that will be revealed in you. Listen to this, Psalm chapter 119, verse 127 and 128 says, Therefore I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Man, I get it. Whenever you get online and you're browsing on social media and you see what other people are spending their money on and you see where other people are going and taking their vacations, it's very easy to have a heart that grows discontent. But instead, whenever you realize that God's glory and his goodness and his presence and the kingdom of God is better than gold, even fine gold, it's better than the vacation, the best one that anybody could possibly have, then you will be able to see that it is absolutely worth it to live sent. Psalm chapter 4 verse 7 says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. I mentioned to you that we gave 100 bucks a month to the Lears 17 years ago. Let me just tell you, at that stage in our marriage and in our life, that $100, we could have used it for a lot of things. Things that honestly look, I mean, we, were, we, were, we lived unbelievably tight in every way. Can I tell you, as I stand here today now looking at this church, knowing what God has done in and through this church and what he will do in the days ahead as a result of the ministry of this church, I look back and I tell you $100 wasn't enough. It's worth every penny. You have no idea the joy that I'm experiencing right now while being on this stage. I don't even remember what I would have bought that many years ago, and I don't even care. Please hear me. When God responds and God moves in your life and leads you out with generosity, even if it seems sacrificial generosity that makes no sense, the kingdom of God is always worth it. It always will result in more joy than whatever that sacrifice could ever possibly achieve. Whatever you give up, whatever you turn away from, whatever you walk away from, it's worth it. Afshin Ziafad is a pastor in the Dallas area, and he came and spoke at a men's conference at our church a few uh, months back. And Afshin is a pretty amazing story. He grew up in the Houston area to a prominent Muslim family. He moved over from Iran, and uh, whenever he moved over from Iran, he, he only spoke Farsi. And so whenever he was very, very young, uh, his parents put him uh, with a tutor that was meant to try to teach him the English language. In the second grade, he had a, a lady who was tutoring him in English, and she decided to live sent and take a risk. And she goes up to Afshin, and she says, Afshin, uh, I want you to know I'm going to give you this, and I'm going to ask that one day you will read it. And of all the things that I've ever taught you, and of all the things that you have ever read, I want you to know this is the most important thing that will ever be read in your life. 
and she handed him a New Testament. Afshin in second grade goes home and he throws that New Testament in his closet and does not think about it. Fast forward 10 years. Afshin now finds himself kind of at a crisis of faith. He's not really sure. He buys into all that his parents have taught him and all that his parents have been, have, have been telling him is the right way. And so therefore he remembers, God prompts him and remembers that he has that New Testament in the corner of his closet. And he goes and he picks it up. And because of the situation with his prominent Muslim family, he goes and under the covers of his bed, each night with a flashlight, he began to read the New Testament and he gets to the book of Romans. He began to be overwhelmed with the reality that he was a sinner and he wanted to know what he was supposed to do with his sin. His Muslim faith told him that as long as he followed the five pillars of Islam that he would be good, but he never felt any peace. And then he begins to hear about how this God sent his son Jesus to be the righteousness of God and by us believing in him, those who are far from God could have peace with God and can move from being an enemy to a friend. And Afshin gave his life to Jesus Christ. Afshin began to go and seek out Christian uh, people in his, in, around him and in, in Christian ch- churches. He said he would go and literally put clothes in his car the night before. He would drive to a McDonald's and he would change clothes before he went into church. And then he would go back to the McDonald's and change again so that his parents would not question and wonder what it is that he was doing. Eventually, the life change that Afshin was experiencing was way more than he could hide. And his dad called him into his room and said, Afshin, what's going on with you? And Afshin said, Dad, I'm a Christian. I've given my life to Jesus. He said his dad looked at him and said, Afshin, you're not a Christian. You're a Muslim. You will always be a Muslim. And if you choose today to tell me that you're going to be a Christian, I want you to know that you are no longer my son. Here, Afshin in Houston, Texas, whenever he was a senior in high school, he said he felt the Holy Spirit inside of him lead him to respond and say, Dad, if I have to choose between you or if I have to choose between Christ, I choose Christ. He is my Savior. Afshin went on to give his life to ministry, ended up following uh, after he's a pastor now in the Frisco area, has an amazing testimony, an incredible speaker and useful, that God has used him in powerful ways. And he stood on our stage just a few months ago talking about the loss and the difficulty that it was by the fact that he never had a relationship with his father after that experience. But then he stood and he looked at us and he said this, As painful, as difficult as that was, I can tell you today, having followed Jesus, it was worth it. You see, many of you are not going to be asked to give up the most important relationships that you have in your life, but I would simply tell you this, if God calls you living sent to even do that, I promise you this, it's worth it. I promise you that there is nothing that you could possibly give up that could ever be worth it to not experience the presence and the furthering of the kingdom of God in your life and the kingdom of God being advanced through you. The statement I gave you is the kingdom is worth it. The second part of it, though, is just as true. Nothing else is. You see, the point of this parable isn't just the incredible worth of the treasure or the incredible worth of the pearl. It is the fact that all of the things that you have and all of the things that you do, all of the things that you attain aren't worth it in comparison. 
Have you ever made a trade and realized that you got something incredibly valuable and you didn't have to give up very much to get it? And there's nothing like that feeling when you know you got the really good end of a deal. Maybe you got some great prize and you got it really cheap, didn't have to pay much for it. And on the other hand, there is nothing that is more difficult than when you realize that you gave up something of great value and you did not get much in return. I've been in the Houston area for four and a half years, and whenever I moved into my house four and a half years ago, I was negotiating back and forth with the, uh, with the, the person that we were buying it from, and we were really close to a number of agreeing, but we weren't quite there yet. Uh, this family had actually left and moved on to uh, London, and they were already there. They basically left all of their furniture back in order to stage the house, and so because we weren't quite where we wanted to be, and they were asking a little more than I wanted, I said, hey, I tell you what, I'll agree to your number, but I want you to leave all of the furniture as is. And they said, yes. So I basically bought a fully furnished house. It was an awesome thing because there were certain things that they had in the house that we actually preferred over our furniture. It fit better in the space and in the room. But there was also a number of things in the house that we knew were never going to work. They were never going to fit. They just didn't fit our style. They didn't fit what we were looking for or whatever. And so therefore, as a result of that, I thought this would be a great way for us to put some of these things online, flip some of these things, and be able to have a little bit of extra money to buy some things, decorative deals for the house. And so sure enough, what we did is we left all the things we wanted and all the things that we were going to sell. We took out into the front yard, we took pictures, listed them all online, and then we basically loaded up our entire garage with furniture that we were selling online. Fast forward about three months. We sold a few things, but, but a lot of it was still in the garage. Fast forward three months, I am tired of looking at all of this furniture in my garage. I want to get rid of it. And I became a motivated seller in every way, which basically means we're just slashing prices right and left, just like just trying to get attention and trying to get people to come and do it. And there was two particular pieces of furniture that were really kind of unique looking that I was, I was really motivated to get rid of. It was a dresser and a vanity. I'm about to show you a picture of this vanity here in just a moment. And I just want to give you a heads up. If you have this vanity in your current bedroom or you have this vanity in your house, I, I mean no offense with what I'm about to tell you. I thought it was really, really ugly though, all right? It just, it, it didn't fit, again, our style. I've got teenage girls moving in. It wasn't exactly going to be something that would work. And so therefore, I was really wanting to get rid of these pieces out of our house. This is the vanity. This is what it looks like here. Um, and, and again, it, it, this, you may think it's beautiful. I, I I did it, all right? I, I thought it looked ugly and wanted to move it on. So there's a dresser that looks very similar to this. And so what we did is we, we I, I got online and, and I don't know what we were listing it initially, but I decided, okay, fine. Let's just $200, lower this thing to $200. Man, all of a sudden I started to get a phone call. Somebody calls me and says, hey, I'll give you 150 bucks. I said, if you'll come tomorrow to get it, you can have it, $150 sold. Next day, I get a phone call for a dresser, very similar to like this. I lowered that down to about 200 bucks. I get a phone call and says, hey, $125. I said, if you'll come today, it's yours. 
They come over that day. I help load the the dresser up into the truck. And then they hand me the $125. All of the order is very important. Because then after that, after the exchange had been made, they said, hey, do you know what this stuff is? I said, ugly? I I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what it is. It said, I'm actually a part of an online community where we sell and we look for antique furniture. Do you happen to have that vanity? I was like, oh, we sold it yesterday for $150. She goes, oh, no. I said, well, well what, what is it? She said, that is burled walnut. She said, it is extremely valuable and extremely rare. Where did you find it? I said, it was in the house when we moved in. She said, if you would have listed that on the right website, the minimum you would have gotten for that vanity would have been (laughs) $16,000. I sold it for 150 bucks. Because I wanted my garage clean. (laughs) The reality is I could have bought a car to put in the garage. (laughs) I have to wonder if when God looks at us, he sees how much time Tension, money, mental capacity that we give to education, that we give to politics, that we give to sports, that we give to hobbies, that we give to stuff that doesn't matter. And he's saying, I get it. 150 bucks in a clean garage. But I've got so much more. Why are you settling when what I have for you, as good as those things are, is not worth $1,600 or $16,000 or $16 million or $16 billion, but is infinitely more then all of those things, trade-off, just isn't worth it. Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, listen to what he says. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, this means that he has the right religion. Of the people of Israel, he comes from the right neighborhood. Of the tribe of Benjamin, he has the right family. A Hebrew of Hebrews, he has the right education. As to the law of Pharisee, he has the right moral code. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, he has the right charisma. 
As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He has the right image. He's got all the right things. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I'm not trying to say that the things that you care deeply about are unimportant. But what I am telling you is this. They're not worth the kingdom. I want to close by showing you a video that went viral earlier this summer. It's this video of an interview that took place with the Oklahoma Sooner girls softball team. This team recently won their seventh national championship. They're currently in the midst of a 53-game winning streak, which is the longest winning streak in NCAA softball history. They're literally on top of the world. But what they've recently gotten so much attention for is something they did at the press conference, not after they won the national championship, but prior to the game that they were going to play to try to win a national championship. Take a look. With ESPN for, for the players, I know you talked about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious. It's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in? Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. And I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So uh, I would, that's really the only the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. One thousand percent agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I. I was so happy to win the college. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled, and I had to find Christ in that. And I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously, we've worked our butts off to be here, and we want to win, but... It's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ, and that's all that matters. Yeah, um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up. And you guys mm -hmm. see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really, like, fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where, like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and, and our love 
for each other and our love for the game because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think once we figured that out and that was our purpose and everyone was all in with that, um, it's really changed so much for us. And I mean, I know myself, I, I've seen so much of a growth in myself with um, once I turned to Jesus and I realized how he had changed my outlook on life, not just softball, but understanding how much I have to live for, and that's living to exemplify the kingdom. And I think that brings so much freedom. And I'm sure everyone's story is similar, but we all have those great testimonies that have really like shown how awesome it is to play for something bigger. Um, and I think that's just what brings me so much joy. And no matter the outcome, whether we get a trophy in the end or not, we're, this isn't our home, and I think that's what's amazing about it is we have so much more. We have an eternity of joy with our Father, and I'm so excited about that. And, yes, I live in the moment, but I know this isn't my home, and um, no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end um, when we're with our, our King. So, Pretty amazing, isn't it? I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes, if you would, please, just in a moment of prayer. Let me just ask you a, a question. Are you making a bad trade? It's perhaps some of you trying to get a clean garage and 150 bucks, and you're missing out on so much more. kingdom of God is worth it. Nothing else is. Maybe for some of you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've been around him enough to make yourself feel a little bit comfortable, but also you've been around him enough to know that you don't know him. And I would simply tell you there is nothing greater that you could do with your life. Not to perform, not to do enough good deeds to somehow be right with God, but instead for you to receive the kingdom of God which has been freely given to you. What I want you to know is that God saw you as the treasure and he gave up his life on a cross so that you could experience eternal life. Today, maybe some of you need to make a decision to give your life to Jesus. Maybe some of you need to make some changes in your finances, to make some changes in your relationships, to make some changes in your schedule, in your calendar. Because what you are giving yourself to just isn't worth it. Father, I pray that you would move in our midst and that we would not only embrace the all-encompassing beauty and wonder and glory that is you. But God, you'd help keep us from settling for the jump that you saved us from. I pray, God, that you would allow Southbridge Fellowship, Lord, to be a place where not only those in this room would experience the presence of you and the kingdom of God in their lives in such a powerful way where he is ruling and reigning and moving, but God, it would flow forth from this place that they would see that the people of this church don't live for the same thing that everybody else does in the Raleigh-Durham area. 
God, that their priorities are different, that their focus is different, that the pursuits of their hearts are on eternal things that will last. May they never settle. Lord, bring conviction, but bring freedom as we follow you. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you have a question about the message you just heard, email us at info at sfchurch.com. For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.